The Port of Indiana Jeffersonville is one of the fastest growing ports on the Ohio Mississippi River system. Wendy Danchesser knows what it's all about. She grew up on the Ohio, and now she's the captain in charge of selling her Kentuckiana roots as a place to live, work, and play. Jeffersonville, Indiana. Have you heard of us? Have you stopped by? Have you made the move? Get to know Wendy Danchesser, the president and CEO of One Southern Indiana, on this week's Business and Beyond podcast. Hello and welcome to episode 89 of the Business and Beyond podcast presented by PNC. I'm Gary Dick. When you hear Wendy Danchesser talk about her memories of growing up in Southeast Indiana, you can see why she's so passionate about seeing the region grow. Wendy was born in Louisville. Her family moved to Maple Street in downtown Jeffersonville after she finished first grade. A self-described athletic nerd, Wendy played volleyball and softball at Jeffersonville High School, started college at the University of Florida, but quickly realized the Midwest was where her heart was. She came home, graduated from IU Southeast, and has now led economic development efforts for One Southern Indiana for the past 10 years. And it gives me a great deal of pleasure to welcome Wendy Danchesser, the uh, president and CEO of One Southern Indiana, the economic development group uh, for Southeast Indiana, to the podcast. Wendy, how are things in Southeast Indiana? You know, we can't complain about anything right now. Um, well, that's not true. We we have some challenges like every other community, but in the grand scheme of things, it's good times here in Southern Indiana. Yeah, a lot of good times. And I think a lot of people perhaps around the state aren't aware of all the things that that have been going are that are going on uh, in Southeast Indiana. I've known you for a number of years, and I've really always enjoyed watching the the successes that have happened, the battles in in Southeast Indiana to get the region together and in in fighting through that and and getting some big wins. Describe Wendy from your perspective. If you're talking to someone from Northern Indiana or other parts of the state who really don't know, maybe they haven't been through or uh, around Southeast Indiana. Give us a, a kind of a description of, of uh, the region and uh, kind of the vitality and what's going on right now. Yeah, it, it's a it's a fabulous place to be. It is truly where the South meets the Midwest. And if you think about um, the, the way that the Ohio River has been the cutoff, if you will, we get the amenities of both sides of it. So most of our communities in our counties, Clark, Floyd, Scott County, and then we work also sometimes with Harrison, sometimes with Washington, and then Jefferson County, where most of us are part of the Louisville, Kentucky metropolitan statistical area. So when we're selling our community, we are really best known for a city we're not in a state we're not a part of. And so thinking that through that slowly, um, the, the, the benefits of that is that we get the amenities of a big city and Louisville has its own identity. It has its own challenges, but of course it has its own amenities. We get to take advantage of those when selling our community, either for businesses to locate here, for people to live here and move here. We get to take advantage of all of that. And it's really a, a nice little hidden treasure that that is a selling point for what we do in economic development. You mentioned uh, the Ohio River as kind of a, a separator between you know, Indiana and Kentucky, but an amazing connector that is now reality, the Ohio River Bridges Project, 
multi-billion dollar uh, project, two uh, bridges over the Ohio River. What has that and will that project mean? Because that's more than visually connecting things. It's, it's a big economic connector as well. So let's start with the fact that in, in the 1960s, I believe the first meeting for this project took place in 1969, which is the same year I was born. So it seems like an awful long time ago. When the discussions about it started, it really was a completely different project than by the time it was committed to in 2012. So the, the, the way that the project has played out for us is that in economic development, we get access to all of those amenities I mentioned on the south side of the river more quickly. And a couple of the, the key ones is A, the population. Uh, if you look at the Louisville, Kentucky metro area, we're at 1.3 million population. That gets us on a level that is exciting to companies looking to come into an area. The second is it gives us a connection to the transportation hubs that Louisville has to offer. Uh, whereas Indianapolis benefits from the FedEx hub, here we have UPS World Hub, the, their largest North American uh, shipping center. So we have access to that very easily and very quickly now because of the Ohio River Bridges project. As you look at that selling the region, if you will, you mentioned you're unique because you have the counties there on the Indiana side, but you're also part of the Louisville uh, DMA as well. How do, how has that gone? I mean, is there participation, cooperation, collaboration between you and your folks in, in city of Louisville and the folks on the other side of the river too? It's better now than it has been, but it's like every other relationship. It has its ebbs and flows. Um, I would say that our ability to pick up the phone and call our counterparts on the other side of the river. I did that this morning on an issue that came up. It was a, a little, but at least I, I texted and said, hey, do you have five minutes? Yes, called back. We got it resolved. It was done in a matter of time because we have that shared um, that shared purpose in working together. One of the other things that, that has really helped that relationship, Gary, is that we, we don't actively engage in uh, what we call inciting the river hoppers, somebody to move from one side of the river to the other. They're not going to add new jobs. People are just going to have to travel a different route to get to work. And it doesn't benefit either of our states in the long run if we just mm -hmm. go back and forth. So those are the types of um, uh, discussions that we have. And then as we're as as they are selling the region, we benefit from that. So if a company or a site selector contacts them or is, is, follows up with them, they hand that off to us and it can become a project in southern Indiana. A, a good example of that, Niagara Water started is by looking at the Louisville side of the river, but because the of the water resources at River Ridge Commerce Center, they found their home in southern Indiana and they've had two growth, uh, two expansions since they, they built their facility. Yeah. You mentioned River Ridge Commerce Center, and certainly that's a catalyst for, for growth. Uh, and I think one of the great economic development stories in the entire state. For those who may not know, uh, talk about River Ridge, how it was created, how big it is, and, and what it's becoming. So in 1942, after Pearl Harbor was, was bombed in 41, the federal government came in and through a domain took about 13,000 acres in southern Indiana in Clark County that is along the Ohio River. And it at the time, it was very strategic for them to find that location. 
It had uh, its own water resources. It was far enough away from the, the war technology of the day to get for, for bombers to bomb from either of the oceans. And so it had a unique purpose for the Army. They came in and in March, they, they made the announcement in March of 1942, and the population of Charlestown, Indiana, was about eight or 900 people at the time. By October of the same year, the population of Charlestown grew to 13,000. Wow. And imagine the influx of people that that caused because they were building a city. So the Army Ammunition Plant had its own water treatment, its own wastewater treatment, it had two electric generating stations, it had its own landfill. It was truly operating as an independent um, uh, community. And the benefit that we see today is, unfortunately, because that the, the, the wartime technology again changed. That did not um, meet the needs of, of warfare as we know it today. And in the 1980s and early 90s, the Army started decommissioning some of the the property that we now call River Ridge. It never went through the base realignment and closure or BRAC like a lot of communities with, with um, military installations did. But instead, the Army contracted with a company and said, go develop this for economic development. Well, that Army contractor decided economic development was just going around to all of the local municipalities and, and it's saying, hey, move your company into our into our land and we'll get it to you tax free. Well, that did not um, set well with the local elected officials who were running those communities and called right. their, their companies being picked off. So they worked um, in conjunction with the, with the state government, with the federal government, with the U.S. Army, and they created a pathway to transfer that land into local control. Now, they started with 13,000 acres. And 6,000 of those acres is what we now today call the River Ridge Commerce Center. The other 7,000 acres became the Charlestown State Park. And so we as, a, as residents of the community have a lot of benefits from that because we, we can see both the, the, the recreational benefit as well as seeing that we have economic benefit to the tune of 6,000 acres, which, we've, which we, today we call the River Ridge Commerce Center. Hey, talk about what is there now, because I know you're attracting a number of uh, investments, big investment jobs that uh, are, are building up River Ridge Commerce Center uh, into something potentially very special. Wow. Well, um, you know, the, the, the biggest thing we've been able to offer is a mega site. And uh, River Ridge started with a site that had about 1,700 acres in one site. It may or may not be developed completely. In fact, um, it's, we've not seen anybody ask for that full amount in a while. But we've been able to attract companies in many different industries and in many different sizes. And, and uh, the, the the, the benefit for us is that there's a foreign direct investment component as well. So some of these companies are um, coming in. I'll give you a couple of examples. A couple of years ago, we announced uh, that Denso, a Japanese auto parts maker, was coming to River Ridge, and they have been operating there. Um, we have benefited in the pharmaceutical industry. The pharmaceutical benefits managers have come in um, and they take advantage of the fact that UPS Worldport is so close to River Ridge because they know that some of those specialty drugs need to be um, sent out very quickly. And, and if, if, if they get the drug, if they get the, the package or the shipment to 
UPS by midnight, um, it, by 10 o'clock the next morning, it can be anywhere in the con continental US. That's a huge market advantage for those companies. So we've got two or three that are, are prime there. And then I mentioned earlier that we have some food service companies. So in conjunction with you know, packaging or food production itself or water bottling, we've got an opportunity to, to really take advantage of all of that. And I'd be remiss if I didn't tie in what, besides the, the we have now the road connections with the bridges, we have the the, um, the air connections, both with the Clark Regional Airport, but UPS World Port. We have the Port of Indiana at Jeffersonville, which is probably three miles uh, you know, maximum from the, most of the sites in River Ridge. And what that does is it adds another component of that infrastructure that is critical for economic development. Now, I was going to ask you about that because as you look at the assets there, to me, they've got to be uh, unique or, or certainly among among the best uh, in the Midwest, if not beyond. As you look at that connection to to the Port of Indiana, Jeffersonville, UPS World Port, you got the Ohio River uh, bridges, the new bridges there, the river itself, uh, connectivity, uh, Midwest location. How, how does River Ridge? How does that location? stack up competitively, you know, in the Midwest and maybe even beyond? It's a, it's a great question. And it really depends on what the company needs. I, I didn't mention rail, but rail is also a critical component that we can we can feed. So so companies are looking, um, you know, the, the speed of economic development project in my 25 years in the business, the speed of these projects is unlike anything I've seen. We had a, a smaller company look at a site less than two months ago and they announced last week. So we're in we're in a, a new new age for that. The number one um, criterion that companies are still asking about is workforce. How are we doing? What what do they need? And it, it you know the more specialized the type of job that they are looking to fill, the more we have to dig deeper and figure out what we have here locally to help fill those jobs. So we're starting the ancillary projects such as talent attraction. We're trying to get a handle on the childcare uh, offerings that we have in our area because that's a talent attraction component. And then, of course, building relationships with education from higher education through K through 12 becomes all, all becomes a part of that economic development work so that the plate is just getting bigger and bigger of all the things that we, we get to work on. Yeah. Wendy, I know you've been a big driver uh, for regional cooperation uh, there in Southeast uh, Indiana and really getting that buy-in in the region, which uh, in Southeast Indiana and other parts of the state, frankly, it's not not been the easiest thing to do. But the rewards, what has happened there, uh, most recently with the, uh, the READY uh, initiative, and I forget the acronym, what it stands for, but it's uh, regional, it's the, it's the successor to the Regional Cities Initiative. And your region, uh, one of those that got the maximum amount, as, as I remember, uh, for quality of place projects. Talk about, uh, first of all, getting that buy-in in the region. It was challenging, I know. How, how tough was it? And, and, and uh, talk about that process a little bit. Well, you know, nothing good comes without a little bit of pain. Um, most of our pain hit in 2015 when we were unable to form the Regional Development Authority, which was the only vehicle allowed to apply for the Regional Cities Initiative funding. So we sat and watched as three regions of the state, of the state, seven applied for it, but three regions of the state received over $126 million that we couldn't apply for. We couldn't even put a bu bucket under the spigot trying to get any of that. Yeah. 
so that was um, pain. Pain is a huge driver. Failure is a huge driver. And it took us a while, but we picked ourselves up. We went back at it. And in 2017, five county councils agreed to form a regional development authority. And they said, okay, we're going to form it now. What are we going to do? And we said, well, we don't know. <laughs> we're going to have to figure that out because the regional city's dollars were, were expended and we saw great results in Evansville, South, South Bend and Fort Wayne area, those regions. But we also knew that if there was ever an opportunity again for regional funding, we wanted to be ready for it. We didn't want to be behind the eight ball. So we kept that organization, that regional development authority going with no funding, with really no, uh, nothing other than just uh, working with the IEDC on putting a regional plan together. And we finished that work at the end of 2019. And we were hoping 2020, we were going to hit the ground running. And lo and behold, we hit the dead stop like everybody else. But because of that, um, Ready was born, the Regional Economic Acceleration Development Initiative. Yeah. And that's where the state of Indiana put uh, $500 million of ARP funds out and said, okay, regions, go do your thing, figure out what you need. And at this point, we could look our, we looked at ourselves and said, we are ready for ready. Uh, we can make it, we can, we can make a good go at it. And it was a five county effort. Um, I, 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 I am the, all I got to do was be the, the lead of it, but there were so many people behind pushing that ball up the hill that was just, it was a, tremendous effort. When we made our presentation to the IEDC, we, we had maybe three empty seats in the whole room and people were, in, were standing because there was, um, there was an excitement in Southern Indiana that it was our time to, to enjoy something. Yeah. When you, when you got the word, you saw you, you got that big amount, you're going to get that, those big dollars. I'm sure there's a lot of excitement, certainly for uh, the projects that that they would fund as well, but was there was there a little bit of emotion in there too? Is it an emotional moment for you and and I'm sure others in the region that uh, you know, hey, we we did it. I love the fact that I can bring emotion to my job because if I if I couldn't, I probably wouldn't be in in the right position because it, it takes a great deal of passion. And when I say me, it was the, the entire team was just as passionate about it. So the anticipation of the award ceremony was incredible. When it was announced, I literally, well, actually, I saw it on the screen because we were lower on the list as they were reading them off. And I just, I, I was almost disbelief. Is that real? Are they, did we just, did, did we just win the $50 million award that we've been striving for? And then, quite frankly, Gary, by the time I was driving home, it turned into fear. Like, oh my gosh, now we gotta, now we gotta do something. We've made all these promises. How do we make sure we get them what we we maximize the the potential of this investment? Yeah, there were there were tears, there were there was giggling, there was um, uh, a little bit of a panic look. But yeah, you know, it, it, it was about two hours for me to drive from Butler University to um, to my office in Southern Indiana. I had thirty seven text messages when I came home. And wow. that was enough people around the state or around the region going, thank you, or let's go get it. Let's go get this done. And it was um, it was the drive I needed to, to get it to the point where it is today. And our role in it today as, as One Southern Indiana has really taken a, a different twist. We're on the backside of it now. We're not the federal fund administrators. So we've basically passed the baton, if you will, to uh, our economic development district. 
and they're moving forward and all of those dollars are um, starting to, to get seep out into our community in a very positive way. Yeah, I know regions around the state are approving or, uh, you know, kind of targeting their their projects. Have you selected projects? There, there, have the projects been selected there in, in Southeast Indiana? We went through the process of ra- ranking our projects prior to submission. So and that was our job in the summer of 2021. It didn't come out exactly. Projects changed the way that um, some of the the, the um the federal funds had a little bit of an impact on the way that they would be spent in some of the projects. So most of that work was done prior to submission. And now they're going through the process of just, you know, it, it, they're making hard decisions. I don't mean to, to discredit that at all, but the hard decisions are, okay, we've got all of these great projects. We made a request for 84 million, knowing that 50 was the maximum. So there's some, there's some folks that are saying, um, okay, well, we're not, going to get funded this time. Well, what are you going to do for us to help make sure that there's funding in the future? And I think that setting our sights on the future is looking at those projects that need to be moved up. What do we do to shore them up a little bit? And then also communicating with the folks in Indianapolis, either through the administration or we expect some type of legislative activity to see a ready repeat or a ready 2.0 funding source coming from in the future. Quality. These are largely quality of place, quality of life type projects, uh, whether it's Southeast Indiana or or wherever the location around the state of Indiana. How important for those who maybe, you know, they hear about these projects and they say quality of place. How important is that? As you look as an economic developer and someone who's out there selling a region and talking to companies and others, how important are these quality of place projects that make places better places to live. So the goal of economic development is not only to bring in companies, to bring in the types of companies that a community says that it wants. And those typically, those, those criteria, that criteria tends to be around what, what's it going to do for us in terms of taxable capital, what's going to be built here, but also the jobs that are going to be created by the company coming in. And those types of, those, those types of jobs, at this point, we, we can pretty much categorize we know that wages are going up. And if these companies that we're trying to attract are to bring in a higher skilled, higher higher wage earner, then we've got to be able to fill those jobs. So let's talk, go back to the, the idea that talent attraction has become what we've wanted. People make decisions based on what they do in their personal life just as much as what they do in their in their work life. So we have to make sure that our community, or in our case, our group of communities, has a lot to offer that would attract different types of people. So some of the projects that that will get a shot in the arm because of the ready funding, I, my, my favorite is Origin Park. It is a about a, a 200 acres or so in along the banks of the Ohio River in the center of this Louisville metropolitan area that is has been neglected and abused a bit as far as the land. But let's make it something that's an attraction that people want to come to. So there's a big effort in underway for that. But let's also look at some of those quality of place projects, such as additional trail systems. The folks in New Albany are working on creating the South Monon. Central Indiana has enjoyed the Monon Trail for for ages. We'd like to to figure out how to enjoy the South Monon Trail. And then you look at what um, the city of Madison is doing, and they have identified many of the different music venues or culture venues that they would like to give a shot in the arm to to create that type of feel for their community. We all benefit from all three of those projects 
and the, the, the challenge is how do we best keep all of them moving forward at the same time, knowing that the big goal of this is talent attraction to support our economic growth. Hey, before we go to uh, do a quick break, uh, you mentioned some other cities, and I think it's important to note uh, as you look at the region there, and, and folks pass by Jeffersonville as they're getting on the bridge and going across the Ohio River, but but New Albany and Clarksville, and uh, you know other communities have some downtown development, economic de- development, some activity going on, right? I love selling this area because. In, in a, a small area, you can go from urban to rural so quickly here. And that that just has a lot of what people are looking for. If you want the retail shopping, if you want the downtown, the family-friendly um, activities in a downtown, or if you want the more urban, edgy side, and you can stay up after 10 o'clock at night, downtown New Albany offers a lot of that. So we get to sell all of that, and different people are going to take on different, different types of those um, amenities that are offered. Very good. Well, hey, we've got a lot more with Wendy Danchesser after uh, the break. Uh, growing up in Southeast Indiana, a rise in the economic development ranks, and a lot more. That's when the Business and Beyond podcast continues. This is Alex Brown. Get caught up on the state's top business news every business day with Inside Indiana Business Radio On Demand. This twice-daily podcast features our statewide Inside Indiana Business Radio reports with additional bonus content that you can listen to anytime, anywhere. You can listen now on the podcast page at InsideIndianaBusiness.com or subscribe for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the Business and Beyond podcast presented by PNC. My guest this week is Wendy Danchesser, the president and CEO of One Southern Indiana. And uh, Wendy, uh, you are working in really in your hometown, right? You grew up uh, in uh, in Jeffersonville. You were a hometown girl. Talk about growing up in uh, Jeffersonville, what that was like. Um, I'm the first generation in my family to to grow up in Jeffersonville. Both of my parents were from the Louisville area and they moved to Southern Indiana in 1976. So I had finished first grade in Louisville and we moved to um, Maple Street in Jeffersonville, which is right in the downtown, the heart of the downtown area. I, I didn't really have any older, I don't have any older siblings. And since my parents weren't there, I didn't have um, a lot of, I was the first to sort of experience what, what, you know, middle school and the public schools in Indiana were like, and then high school, but um, would not trade my experience for anything in the world. Jeffersonville has been very good to me. Um, I went away to college my first year, but came back and finished in in New Albany in, in, in IU Southeast. And so when I had the opportunity to come back and, and work at One Southern Indiana, it was really coming back doing what I love doing in the two communities that helped raise me. And yeah. uh, it, it's been, it, it's fulfilled every expectation I've hoped for. So what kept you busy as a youngster? Did, was it sports, ex- extracurricular? What, 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 was, uh, what were those early years like? I would say that uh, the descriptor people would give, I was, a, I was a, a, an athletic nerd. I, so <laughs> I played all the sports, softball, volleyball, basketball, uh, at least up until high school, but I always made good grades. So I had a, 
I had a the, the geeky side of me um, that was was intent on getting a college or getting a, a, a an opportunity to go to college. First graduate in the family to do that, um, but also I enjoyed the the athletic side of it. So. As I look back on my upbringing, it was riding my bike in the downtown, in the downtown area, driving, riding down to the Shemp candy store, which is all oh, the there candy today. store, of course. Yes. Famous, yes. Getting the world famous red hot. Um, there used to be a, a place called the trolley Inn right on the river where we it had a true soda shop. So you, you'd ride your bike in and you'd go up to the soda shop and they'd make a, they'd make a cherry Coke the old fashioned way with a shot of cherry, cherry juice in it. And then um, we'd find a basketball goal somewhere or a a lot and play whatever sport we could until it was time to go home when the sun went down. So you were a Jeff Red Devil, I assume? uh, I was, yeah. High school. And sports, what a great sports tradition that school has. Yes, yes. Uh, Our team, the teams I played on both volleyball and softball, were, were good and competitive. We didn't win any state championships or anything that exciting, but it didn't matter. We, uh, yeah. the experience I, well, my coaches wouldn't say that today, but the experience <laughs> I had when we were growing up, when I was growing up was the understanding teamwork, understanding pride in your school, which spills over to your community. And I think it really did impact who I am today. You, you mentioned going away to college and, and coming back and, and, and finishing up. What was, uh, what led you to your college decision? Where'd you go initially? Initially, well, I went to the University of Florida. I was going to leave the state of Indiana for warmer climates and then never come back. But it took me less than eight months to realize that not everybody at a big campus thinks like a Midwest girl. And um, <laughs> when, when, when my priorities were who I was and what, my, what I was going to do, their priorities were, didn't always line up. So coming home was, was comfort, but also it was the right it. Um, I lived at home at my mom's and went to school, worked full time, went to school full time in the evenings and never, ever felt like I was shortchanged or cheated in anything about my college experience. Okay. Post-college, uh, did you know you wanted to get into economic development or did you kind of just kind of evolve into that, that career? I don't think I had a clue what economic development was. My, my, my parents were, are great, were great parents, great upbringing, uh, but they weren't engaged or involved in things outside of their workplaces. Mom was very, she, she worked for Pepsi-Cola, so she was very involved in, in work activities, but um, I didn't necessarily think in terms of leadership for a community, what, what that role would be or what, who actually did things to make stuff happen. So I left here, lived in Columbus, Indiana for about four years after college, worked for a civil engineering firm. And in a marketing role for an engineering firm, I realized that every rural community needed additional help with its water, wastewater infrastructure, but they didn't always have the means to figure out how to get that done, which turned my interest into grant writing. And at that point, I was working on their behalf, trying to find the funding so that our engineering firm could do the work. And that introduced me to state government. So in, in my, um, at the time, it was the Indiana Department of Commerce. I spent a lot of time getting to know the, the folks that were in the grant cycles through the um, Community Focus Fund grants, which is the, the CDBG funds, federal funds that come through the state. And that really opened my eyes to what policy could do for making people's lives better. How'd you land back at, in Jeffersonville at one Southern <laughs> Indiana? Job came open, right? 
Well, I, I worked for um, the state of Indiana in four or five different positions over seven years from 97 to 2005. By that time, I had moved up enough in the Department of Commerce that when there was an administration change, that something was gonna something was gonna be different for me, and I had a, a I had a longing just to get to a local level and understand more how to be effective at getting a community ready for all of this policy that people were trying to to, to better help help make things better with. So I had an opportunity to move to Michigan, and I left Indiana for um, a, a, a colder climate. I uh, was in Southwest Michigan for about eight years, but learned so much about how development worked at the local level. It was not an economically, um, we was up there during the recession and it was, it was not the best um, economic climate. So we did a lot of community development activities to really get those communities set for economic development. And our big project was we built a golf course, uh, Jack Nicholas signature golf course, but a very good golf course nonetheless, to use that as an economic driver. And then um, the position at One Southern Indiana came open and we were uh, literally at a family weekend somewhere in central Indiana. We all met up at a hotel and my mom hands me the newspaper article from my hometown and says, this position here is open. It's, I think it's time you come home. And <laughs> yeah. I made the application and 10 years later, I, here I sit. Yeah. Well, okay. Now I have to ask you because I did a little research and so it was the third time was the charm. To getting the yeah. uh, to getting the actual top job, the CEO job there. Yes, the first when one Southern Indiana was created from both the chamber and the economic development entities, they were applying for, or they they I applied for the president's job then, and they said, "Nice, go ahead, you go you go build your experience a little bit more." And actually, it was the right decision at the time. The second time I applied, they went with another uh, candidate that didn't last very long. So the third time was the charm. Here I am. Okay, let's let's look, uh, kind of look in the crystal ball, Wendy. As you look, a lot has changed, a lot has transformed. There's a lot happening there in Southeast Indiana now. As you look at, and you got the ready grant money that's going to be deployed, uh, and some other things going on. River Ridge still a lot to be developed uh, in that development. Uh, as you look at at Jeffersonville, the region, Southeast Indiana, next five, ten years, and beyond. What what do you see? What would you what would you envision the, the region becoming? I honestly feel that we have the groundwork to continue this trajectory of uh, improvement, investment in our community for um, the next five to 10 years. There's always threats on the horizon that we can't always control or, or contain, but our trajectory looks fabulous. River Ridge is coming of its own. Jerry AC and the team over there have done a great job of keeping that entity relevant in economic development circles. I believe that the infrastructure investments that have been made from the bridges to the ports, to the, uh, to, to the highway systems and, and, and um, the airports, the rail, the infrastructure is set. We're picking up some of the slack now on some of the, the water, wastewater um, infrastructure pieces, but we've got great private partners with our electric and natural gas. So I don't have any reason to think that things are going to come to a dead stop. Even if there is a, a, a bubble burst on the horizon in some areas, we're diversified enough that we can see economic growth in other areas. 
Yes, for instance, uh, we, we've got a couple. We've had a couple big investments from Sazerac, you know, bourbon bourbon makers. We right, know that right. that's a pretty recession um, uh, <laughs> right. industry. So we're gonna we're gonna continue to help companies like that out as well. And our biggest challenges are going to be this continued workforce growth, labor force participation rates. I think is a national problem that we're not immune to. Um, but the solutions are going to be local. So how we continue to get people into the workforce, into positions, or at least into career tracks that are in demand, but also um, interesting and purposeful and all the things that, that folks are looking for, we, we're, set, we're sitting pretty to do all of that. And uh, it's, it's great responsibility to know that it's under our tenure that we get to, to take advantage of these opportunities, but I'm, I, we've got a team that's up to the challenge. Wendy Danchester, you're one of my favorite people in the economic development game, and uh, really congratulations on your success, and uh, and good luck going forward. We'll be following it uh, here from Indianapolis. Gary, thank you for the interest. I do appreciate the time with you always. All right, and thank you for joining us on this edition of the Business and Beyond podcast presented by PNC. It's a weekly conversation with achievers in business, sports, entertainment, and beyond, And you can download all of our episodes and get Indiana Business News 24-7. All you have to do is go to InsideIndianaBusiness.com. I'm Gary Dick. We'll see you next time.